Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The first selection in the 2010 National Hockey League Entry Draft belongs to the Edmonton Oilers. I'm extremely excited to select from the Windsor Spitfires, Taylor Hall. I'm still shaking right now. I'm just so honored to be included in this draft class. Now it's time for the biggest award of the night. And the heart goes to Tyler Hall. To be the first Hart Trophy winner in New Jersey Devils history, I'm truly honored. There is word this afternoon New Jersey, Arizona are working on closing a Taylor Hall deal. That deal has in fact been closed. Taylor Hall on the move. Taylor Hall on the move and on our minds here. Welcome to another edition of Our Line Starts. Paul Burmeister, Anson Carter, Jeremy Roenick. Wondering why he came from Phoenix to Connecticut with the cold and the ice and the snow outside. <laughs> Pretty psyched about that right now? Oh, yeah. I'm just just so excited right now. Yeah. I'm just, I, lo- I love the snow. He's right. <laughs> and the ice and the slush that's coming along. I wish I was Taylor Hall. I wish I was going back to Phoenix. All right. It's harder to get up in the morning. My bones don't feel too good here. I hear you. I hear you. But I love being at NBC, baby. There you go. We are indoors at a very good building here. And here's what we have on our lineup. Uh, Speaking of the desert, Taylor Hall, uh, show packed full of him. What it means for him, for the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, We'll dive into all that, as well as Toronto Maple Leafs team president Brendan Shanahan. He joins the show, sits down for a one-on-one conversation with Pierre Maguire, covering a range of topics, including his thoughts on Mike Babcock in his tenure in Toronto. And we construct our all-decade team. These two guys have been thinking about this a lot, looking forward to the names they came up with. Last week, it was defensemen and goalies. This week, the guys draft four forward lines. Let's begin with the first giant trade of the NHL season. The Devils trading Taylor Hall to the Coyotes in exchange for three prospects and two conditional draft picks. JR, as we talked about, you live there. The team's already in first place in the Pacific. What's this mean for them now? It means the world. This this is the best thing to happen to Arizona since Arizona got a team in 1996. It was great getting Phil Kessel. There's no question that's step one. Uh, Phil Kessel's been a little bit off in his goal scoring. I think it's been hard for him to adjust to playing the type of game I think that Tock wants to play. Maybe not having the Malkins and the Crosbys to feed him the pucks, but uh, I think he is starting to feel more comfortable. But getting a Taylor Hall, getting an MVP-type player in Arizona is so important for so many reasons. Not only one, because they've had trouble scoring. Taylor Hall is going to fit that bill if he can continue to play the type of game scoring-wise and putting points that he has been. But getting that exciting player, Anson, that guy that's going to bring people to that building out in Glendale that's been so hard to attract the fans night in and night out. But to get to see a guy like Taylor Hall play is one of the main reasons why people will make that drive. So they're one of the better teams in National Hockey League right now defensively, and I think getting Taylor Hall is a game changer for them. Way to go, Chaika, for getting this guy and not having to give up the, the, the meat and potatoes of your hockey club. And now give this team something to look forward to every single night. And this doesn't happen without Alex Morello, the new owner, coming on and giving that green light to, 
to John and his staff there mm-hmm. in, in Arizona. And I don't live in Arizona like you do, JR, but I went to a game out there last year, and it was brutal. Like, you're in Scottsdale, you're hanging out, W Hotel, having a great time, and you got to get in the car and drive 40 minutes to Glendale. 40? What, what, you must have been in the speed lane. <laughs> I was flying. You must have been in the speed lane. It's like an hour and a half. Don't tell the cops out there. I was flying. And it was brutal. Like, really? I didn't want to go out there. But you're thinking about the fans in Arizona. What can you sell your fans? Hope, right? Now they have hope. Before they hope the team didn't move, and now they actually hope this team could actually win a Stanley Cup. First, like you said, Kessel coming there team in first place, and now a player like Hall coming to your lineup and not really losing much. I mean, right. it might be a rental, but it's a big addition for the yeah, Coyotes. You know, the fans deserve it. There's no question that the fans are, are, have been waiting for something good to happen. Now this year, they have a goaltender that's in the top in the league in terms of goal per, goals against, save percentage. Kemper's been absolutely fantastic. And you have a team that is winning hockey games and showing the fans that they know how to win, that they want to win, that they want to compete. My my only fear in this, and maybe you can you can just think, see what you think. My only fear is that this team has been conditioned now by Rick Tockett to play a certain way, to play gritty, to play hard, to play a four-man system that plays in your face, plays a very good defensive style of game, and has has now found a system and a belief system in a way that they can win hockey games. So now, does the team, does Rick Tockett really sit there and say, "Okay, I got to be in fear of"? My guy is saying, we got the savior coming. We got an MVP that's coming that's going to save the day, that's going to put the puck in the net, and we're going to win hockey games because he's going to be there and take their foot off the gas on what has made them successful this year. I sure hope that that doesn't happen, and I'm sure Rick Tockett is going to have his, his foot on that pulse as soon as Taylor Hall gets in that locker room. I agree. I mean, you know talk as well as I know talk, and there's no way he's letting the team change their mentality and their identity, who they are. What's the but subconsciously, but subconsciously it can happen. It could happen. So what should he do to get out in front of that? What can he do? Just address it straight up. Let the guys know. Listen here, fellas. We have Taylor Hall. He's a game changer. However, this is what has made us successful. This is what's allowed us to be in a position but what's to acquire more, a player like this. What's so we more don't change. Important? Ace, what's, more, change. what's more important? Is it more important to go to the 22 guys that are in that locker room saying, listen, guys, listen, cut the shit with your thinking. Taylor Hall is going to save the day. No, Taylor Hall is going to come help us. We need to play the same way no matter who's in the system. Or do you go to Taylor Hall and say, Taylor, we love the way you play. We want you to continue to play the way you play, but this is how we play, and you have to make sure you buy into the system and play the same way that we've been playing here. It's kind of a tough scenario. I think you talk to both. You go to both parties. You go to your team, and you go to Taylor Hall. It's a great point. And Taylor Hall has always said he wants to win. He hasn't had playoff success, so he wants to win. He's going to do whatever it takes to have success in the postseason. That's only going to help his bottom line because he's chasing the bag right mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah. He wants to get paid or else he would have stayed in New Jersey. Yeah. So he wants to get paid. So he's going to do whatever Does he want to it win takes. A, does he want to win a Stanley Cup That's too. what I'm saying. Right? He wants to. So a first that's round a exit, Is that a realistic expectation for this team? Why not? Well, I think that's, that's what's going to be the real interesting thing here because Taylor Hall still has to sign a contract. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Right. So does he go to Arizona thinking that Arizona now is a team that can – that can vie for the Stanley Cup, or not even that, can they vie for the playoffs? Uh, does, he, does he go to Arizona and enjoy the life and sign a big-time contract because he wants the money and hope that he can be that guy that helps him there? I think right now it's getting this team to the playoffs that's number one. Mm-hmm. Thinking about a Stanley Cup I think is a little, maybe a little bit too much right now, but we're going to see what Taylor Hall is going to be thinking about this because either he's going to be able to sign a contract with the Coyotes or he wants to, because if he doesn't, 
we're kind of thinking of it the same mentalities of maybe what he's thinking. Well, and you have to get in. <laughs> That's bottom line. Mm-hmm. We've seen eight seeds get in and do some damage. LA Kings, perfect example of that. There's so much parity in the league now, and it's so hard to get in the playoffs now that once you get in, anything's possible. Who would have thought last year Columbus yeah. would have upset Tampa Bay after yeah. Tampa Bay's well, historic that's what, that's what, that's what, Hockey's so great. That's why the National Hockey League is so great. That's why we watch there's it, not no basketball. Question. There's no question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we so, obviously, there's a lot of excitement for good reason, though. Not only what Arizona has done leading up to this point, but what they can do now for the next few months with Taylor Hall. Yeah, but there's belief, there's belief Paul, and that's what's good. As right? there should be, yeah. It's exciting. As you mentioned, it's good for hockey. It's great for that city. Let's go from team to player, though. What's it mean for Taylor Hall? Ten years now, three teams, not a lot of postseason success uh, for the player. It's got to be tough for Taylor Hall because there was that debate, Taylor versus Tyler, during their draft year at Tyler Sagan. And he watched Tyler Sagan go go to Boston, win a Stanley Cup, have success, only playing one other team in Dallas now. And he's probably thinking, geez, I went first overall, he went second, and he's winning championships. Yes, I've got an MVP on my mantle, but guys want to play to win Stanley Cups, not necessarily MVPs, right? Mm-hmm. So for Taylor Hall, this is a great opportunity. He's not going to a team, if you're drafted first overall, first overall to a bottom place team, you're going to one of the top teams in the National Hockey League out west now. Yep. So he has a chance now to really make his mark because that's all he wanted. He wants a chance to win. You know what's funny? You say making your mark. I think he's made his mark, but has he made his mark the way as that he wants? Has he made his mark to the level that maybe Taylor Hall can make his mark? To me, I don't think so. And I think that Stanley Cup is, is going to be the one that is going to secure that. It's great to win a Hart Trophy. There's no question. He's one of the most dynamic players in the National Hockey League. But now we can go to Arizona, Ace, and really, really learn from a guy who did it also in Phil Kessel. High draft pick to Boston. Boston didn't work out. He goes to Toronto. He played well in Toronto, but still didn't really work out in Toronto. He got, you know, some some bad publicity. He got some. Uh, I, I think they looked at him a little, maybe a little bit as um, an overrated player. So he goes on to Pittsburgh. And granted, you have Malkin and Crosby, but he goes and wins two Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh. And he was a big part of those Stanley Huge Cup part. wins. So that being said, you know, does Taylor Hall go there and learn from a guy like Kessel of, of how to kind of morph your way into being? Uh, that person that's going to be remembered as the one of the best players ever to play the game. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic works with Phil yeah, That's a great point. And I think he's got another person to lean on, too, in terms of Rick Tockett, because Talk was there uh, in Pittsburgh with Phil Kessel. Mm-hmm. So he could actually help him with the blueprint of what it's going to take to get to the next level. Yeah. But you're right, JR. Phil Kessel's a perfect example yeah. of a guy that was looked at a certain way, and then once he won... <laughs> Looks a different way. Yeah. You know, rightfully or wrongfully, mm-hmm. he was perceived as this player that was a malcontent made in Toronto, which we all know that probably wasn't the case. Right. It's just people are nitpicking to find a reason for why they traded him. I, 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 I'm just going to finish this conversation off with a stamp. I am so excited for Arizona because it has been a long time overdue that this organization has gone out and gotten somebody of the Taylor Hall talent. Yep. Phil Kessel... Granted, no question that was a great that was a great trade, great pickup. I think Phil Kessel wanted to go to Arizona to be with Rick Tockett because the relationship yeah. is so good. That was step one. But I think this step really, really sends the adrenaline in Arizona over the top. Now they have to make sure that they continue how they've how they built themselves this year and continue to now put the puck in that because that's been their problem. Mm-hmm. Putting the puck defensively is all good. They're winning games, very close games, 2-1, 3-2, relied on the goaltender. Taylor Hall can allow them to put up 3-4 a game. And with that defensive aspect of it, 
um, have an exciting offensive game as well as a shutdown defensive game. So happy for Rick Tockett. So happy for the Arizona Coyotes. Way to go, Chica. This Great is job. not good for us, though, because if Arizona is a good team, we'll see less of JR. You're not going to come to the studio. You're going to be at the he game. He can't be by with no, you're not gonna, Come on. No, no you're not going to keep, hey, me, up, you're not gonna keep <laughs> me off television. I like it too much. You, you guys hit on all the right words. As you said, put a stamp on Arizona. Excitement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, winning. Hope for what could be coming this spring and summer. Putting that behind us and moving on to New Jersey. Uh, so much preseason excitement. Where do they go from here? Oh, man. I, I, it's panic. Panic city. I mean, you get rid of your coach. Now you get rid of your MVP star. Um, I, I think this, this season has not gone not one iota way the way they, that the, the, the brass thought, that the fans thought, or even the players right. thought. Um, whatever. Ha- I mean, I feel bad for Corey Schneider. I mean, he got abducted by aliens. You know, I know he's been hurt. You know, I know he's had injury problems, but when he has been in net, it's just like, it's, it's, it's almost like he has a sheet in front of his eyes. And this is a very, very good goaltender and a great guy. I feel bad for, uh, for Corey Schneider, but, um, then you get your first number one pick in Jack Hughes. He's having a little bit slower development. Um, you know, he sure has just been okay. This is a team right now that I think is a little panic-stricken and doing anything they can to try to salvage the season. Well, nobody's having career years. I mean, everyone's having just an average year. Wayne Simmons, he's not getting the puck in front of the net. Their power play's been okay. PK, I'm not sure if he's healthy right now. He's been just okay. Uh, Nico Heischer is a guy that I'm looking at right now. You look at the other first-rounders who are drafting that same draft. I believe Kale McCarr is a guy that mm-hmm. comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Haskinen comes to mind. And he was, Heischer is drafted first overall. Like, you can't have players drafted third, fourth, fifth after you surpass you. I mean, his career is still early and it's still young, and he's signed a huge ticket. You hope he becomes the player that Shiro and the New Jersey Devils hope that he could develop into because if, they, if he doesn't, mm-hmm. you can't miss at number ones. Jack Hughes, I always thought it would take him a little bit more time. He's just—he's uh, a kid, man. You see yeah. Jack Hughes. He's going to be he's great. A kid. No, he's 18. Yeah. Jack Hughes is going to be fine. There's he's no going to be good. He's going to be good. Just give him some time. I think this is a team that could use a nice lottery pick this year. Alex Lafreniere, good young French hockey player, could be number one. Quinton Byfield, big kid, looks like Malkin out of Sudbury, could be a number one draft pick too. If you have these players, you add them to who New Jersey has right now. They could build something special, but it's going to take time. I mean, all the hype on the season, I mean, it's all for naught. It's just, well, it's they, just have, they, have, they, have some, uh, they have some big worries right now. The one thing they have going is their, their cross-river cross rivals in the New York Rangers are just doing okay, not right. doing great. So um, they don't have to, to really challenge them in terms of who's, 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 who's battling the, uh, the, the scales there on, on the stats. But... Uh, the New York Islanders are uh, our team that's really dominating, yeah. dominating the market over here, and I think they want to try to rival that. Uh, getting back to where we started with Taylor Hall, uh, we're shooting this on Tuesday, and he is expected to play tonight with Arizona on a line with Phil Kessel. So looking forward to seeing that. And, uh, and I can't, wait, I can't wait. I cannot <laughs> wait to watch the game. Yeah? I cannot wait to we'll see right it in here. Arizona. And the, the good thing Arizona. about Taylor Hall, like, you think about Arizona. Do they have a number one center? I mean, Schmaltz. They He's not, not really a number one, right? They do not have a number but one center. But Phil Kessel doesn't really need a number one center to thrive. Neither does Hall. Like, think about Taylor Hall. Who's he played with down the middle as a number one center? And right he now, still right, generates right offense, so one, he should be totally fine in Arizona. Yeah, I, I, listen, Rick Tockett's done a really good job on piecing guys together that match really well. I think 
Clayton Keller has got to make a step forward in terms of his development of being a number one center. He's got to be a guy that goes in there and, and is the disher, is the guy that uh, gets a little bit more dirty in those high traffic areas and really allows this Phil Kessels and, and Taylor Halls to thrive. All right, guys, we are not only quickly approaching a new year, we're also approaching a new decade. So we are putting together our all-decade team. I say are. These two are putting together their all-decade team today. That's still to come. And while these guys think about their picks, let's turn it over to Pierre McGuire, who's joined by Leafs team president, Brendan Shanahan. What a pleasure it is to be joined by Brendan Shanahan, three-time Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, and Hockey Hall of Famer in 2013. Brendan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, Pierre. All right. How does a guy from Mimico, Ontario, become the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, there's a few steps uh, in yeah. between there. And, and, but that, that, that wasn't lost on me when Toronto had called and, and talked to me about coming in and doing this job, just what it would mean. Uh, to my family, uh, you know, not just my immediate family, uh, my wife and kids, but, you know, my mother, my father's passed away. He passed away in 1990. Uh, but my three older brothers and their kids and my neighbors and high school friends and, um, you know, we all grew up Toronto Maple Leaf fans. And, and, and as you know, and, and in lots of uh, hockey cities, uh, for a hockey family, sort of crowding around the TV on a Saturday night for uh, Hockey Night in Canada is like your tribal moment. So um, <laughs> it, uh, it was very meaningful to me, and uh, I still appreciate it every day. I look at your career, and one of the things I really admire about all the things you accomplished, you learned along the way. You learned about a lot of things along the way. You were second overall pick. Your number was retired, obviously, with the London Knights. So you've had a lot of success. So let's start here, Toronto. Yeah. What have you learned about your job being the president of the Leafs so far? Well, it's sometimes, a, you know, I, I, it's hard to sometimes describe. And that, that's, I guess what I've learned is that it, it, it can change every day. And, um, you know, like I will have people say, give me your typical day and, uh, or tell me exactly what you do. And, and, and it really does sort of evolve over time or depending on the week, depending on the time of year. But I like that about the job. It's it's not all uh, hockey on the ice. Uh, it's 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 lots of other things as well. But uh, first and foremost, uh, when I got here and sort of was evaluating, assessing what what we had to do, um, first and foremost is the hockey team and the product on the ice. And you can get you can get caught up, uh, you know, letting the tail wag the dog if you start ta thinking about. Um, I won't even get into specifics, but you start thinking about a variety of subjects that go around running a, an organization yeah. when, when first and foremost, uh, we had to improve the product on the ice. And it's always a work, uh, a work in progress for, for all NHL teams, not just us. And, uh, you know, anytime, um, at any point in the season or, or in any particular season, it's really just a snapshot. There's, there's no uh, general manager or team president in the NHL that looks at their team on a given day and says, this is it. We're done. Mm -hmm. uh, we're done evolving. We're done growing. We're done making changes. So it's, um, it's a fluid job, uh, and I enjoy it very much how, how it changes from, from day to day. I'll never forget, I was doing a playoff series in Tampa, and I was at the airport, and my phone rang, and it said your name on it. So I picked it up, and you said to me, Pierre, I have a plan. It was your first year doing it. What's the plan? Well, I mean, the, the first year was, was a difficult year because I, I didn't want to jump in and sort of make guesses or just take the, you know, 
follow through with actions on the advice of other people. So it, um, you know, I, I think that to sit back and be patient and, and, and uh, really evaluate things yourself was advice I got from a lot of people mm-hmm. that I respect. Um, but it is, it is sometimes hard to, to be patient to do that. And the, the plan was really, uh, at the time, was exactly what I just sort of mentioned before. It was, is, was to fix the product on, on the ice. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the NHL now with the salary cap too, like it's not just about making trades, it's, it's uh, um, which I don't do those, uh, my general manager does, but even when a general manager wants to make changes, um, you have to, uh, unlike other jobs where you say, I don't, I don't like this, our current principal, so we're gonna move him out and bring this one in. Uh, it doesn't move that quickly for the NHL. You have to, when you wanna make a trade, you have to make sure that he's the right player for you, but also that there's a fit. You've mm-hmm. gotta find a home for, for your player, uh, and that, that player has to fit. So uh, the days in the 80s and 90s where people were just swapping players and you could totally transform your team overnight, mm-hmm. Uh, are somewhat gone um, and very rare now do you see those big blockbuster trades with several players moving mm-hmm. all at once so it was a bit of a process and uh, I, I tried not to listen especially in the beginning I tried not to listen to people like yourself uh, <laughs> because it made me angry um, because you weren't saying anything that wasn't true uh, quite frankly the product I think that we had at the time uh, you know I used to say to people like if if I were doing these shows, I'd probably be thinking worse or saying worse. Um, and it's really hard to be patient. And it's, you can't really ask other people to be patient for mm-hmm. you. Um, but over time, we started to accumulate some good players. We started to uh, get things in order. We started to accumulate good, good people, uh, uh, good staff. And, uh, and that's also a big key, as you know. It's, it's the ability to try to, to not just improve your team, but, but sustain it over time. Mm-hmm is a goal that we all have and that comes from having the ability to hire good people which our owners have have been extremely cooperative uh, for me in surrounding myself with really good people. One, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the fascinating hires was your ability to get Lou Lamorello, the man that drafted you in New Jersey, to come to Toronto. How did you do that? You know, it, it, just, it just worked out, the timing. It wasn't, it wasn't a planned thing. It was, um, I was as, as surprised as, as anybody, really, when there was a small window in time where he was available and, and intrigued with the opportunity. Um, we had some good young people like Mark Hunter and Kyle Dubas that, that were sort of learning uh, the job, and I just thought that he would just be such an important impact for the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what we needed at the time and the, the foundation and the stability and, and you know all those things you're trying to build from the ground up he was a, he was a great guy for us and uh, but yeah it was just it was just luck I, I didn't go into that season thinking that 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 he would be available but I was certainly had my eye out when we made a change uh, at the end of that season um, we made changes to our management uh, and we didn't hire anybody right away, but I was certainly certainly looking for somebody. I was relatively new, and uh, Kyle uh, Dubas and Mark Hunter were my two assistant general managers, and they were still relatively new. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking for somebody uh, that had some experience. How hard was it not to renew Lou? Um, no, all, I think all of those decisions are difficult ones, and, and it's... Uh, 
I think that without going into all the all the nuances of what you draw into your decision, um, I think the more important thing is you have relationships with people and and sometimes and I remember it even as a player. Sometimes you have relationships with people and they tell you things that you might not agree with or you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sometimes just the the part of, of being the boss or or being in charge. And we're not all, we're not in charge forever, but when we are, we have to. We're expected to make those calls, and and um, you know, and it's also it's like similar to players. Same thing with management. It's about anticipating and growing your own people. Uh, so I just thought that the timing was right, but it's never easy to have those conversations. So I talked about how you. I'm fascinated by all the things you've learned in your career. I really am because I've watched you and studied you, and I think you've learned a lot along the way. What'd you learn from the 1998 Olympics with your team losing? Well, that one confused me actually, because um, <clears throat> I, I remember. Uh, for those who don't remember, uh, the 98 Olympics, Canada was a favorite, and, and we we were actually really playing well. Like we had. We had really smoked <laughs> the United States team, mm-hmm. uh, Sweden. Uh, you know, we were just really humming along, and we ran in. <clears throat> we ran into a hot goalie in Dominic Hasek in the uh, semifinal game, and uh, we. I think they were winning one nothing, and we maybe tied it up with our goalie mm-hmm. pulled. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went through overtime and didn't score. Uh, we were expected to win gold, uh, and but then we found ourselves in a shootout. And I remember the coaches sort of getting in a pack and huddling together. And, and at that time, we, we didn't have shootouts in the NHL. So it's not like any, we had like four or five moves in our bag. Uh, we had breakaways, obviously, but that's a different thing. Um, it's not something that we really practiced. So um, all of a sudden, the coaches are in a huddle, and we're saying, oh, my God, we have a shootout <laughs> like to survive. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I remember thinking at the time, like, as they came back and were sort of rattling off the numbers, uh, who was going to shoot and the order in which they were going to shoot, he, they kept saying the names. And I kept on thinking, like, say my name, say my name, please say my name. And I was the fifth guy, uh, mm-hmm. the fifth and final guy. Mm-hmm. And immediately my mind goes to, you know, like, you don't care how you win it, um, just so long as you win it. But I'm a very positive thinker, and, I'm, and, and you, you want to have an impact, and you want to... You want to be important to the team, and so you're thinking like, okay, like I'm gonna have a chance to win this thing. Be ready. And when it be- did come my turn, uh, they had scored one goal, and we hadn't scored any. So uh, it didn't work out. I uh, I remember I rem- I remember as I watched each of our guys miss and miss. I had a move in the back of my head uh, that I had done <laughs> in the in the shootout. In the All Star game that year on Ole Kolzig <laughs> in Vancouver, I, right? Yeah, yeah. where I, I I was a shooter, so I, I think every goalie thought I was going to shoot, and I'd come in with speed and just sort of like just do like <laughs> it's not even like a fake so much as like a like a like a flex. <laughs> That's the wrong way to put it, <laughs> but just like sort of like a little shake, and the goalie would drop. I'd step around and put in the empty net, and I'd done it to Cujo in a in a breakaway thing uh, a couple years before that. He said. That's a really good move for you. Cujo is our goalie in practice, uh, or our goalie for the Blues. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good move for you because we all expect you to shoot five hole, and uh, so we're all going to drop as soon as we see you, uh, you know, move your shoulders. So I, I had this move in my head, but as as we got closer and I started to see all these guys not have success, I started to think to myself like, ooh, maybe just go five hole, maybe just keep it safe right. and don't look stupid, and. Uh, 
and and then I, I had this thought in my head actually as I was like skating out on the ice because if the Czech guy before me scores, I don't even get to shoot. And and I I got mad at myself as I'm skating on the ice, and I just said, look to myself, like this is why they picked you. They picked you because you're supposed to have a little uh, you know courage in this situation. So um, you have a responsibility to do what you think is the right move. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do it well. I didn't execute it well even to begin with, but I try, I did try to do that. And I remember just sort of making like a little bit of a move and Hashik just froze. He didn't even bite one bit. Right. And like it, it came to the point where I was almost like waiting for some net and he just was with me the whole way. He was almost, he was almost mirroring the puck with his gloves. And I thought to myself, like, I'm about to skate behind the net. <laughs> like there's just nothing there. And I, I shot the puck sort of knowing like, he, he read this, and like I said, I don't think it was my best uh, effort. Um, but it confused me at the time because I, I remember, you know, um, being really sad and obviously and apologizing to the country uh, for not uh, coming through in that moment and uh, turning this into a way longer story than I thought it would be. But for a few days, you know, like, in, you know, we go to the closing ceremonies and we got to get all the way back to North America and series of flights and I remember thinking like why did this happen this 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 doesn't happen um you know you expect success you you want success and and I went home and I wrote on a piece of paper I said I I said to um my wife uh um you know I think I know what this means it was too easy we couldn't just show up at the first olympics and just win a gold we wouldn't have appreciated this this is about like getting kicked hard and stung hard uh, for 2002. Mm-hmm. And so I went and wrote on a piece of paper that, you know, I'm gonna make the team in 2002. We're gonna, we're gonna win the gold medal. And I sealed it up and I put it in an envelope and I, you know, I hid it in my desk. And uh, luckily four years later, we, I was able to be on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not one of the main players. Uh, I was a fourth line guy. Uh, but um, and I remember I broke my thumb uh, mm-hmm. in the second or third game, mm-hmm. and I just thought like, there's no way. I was still thinking about '98. There's no way I'm not playing, and mm-hmm. and so we were able to have success. And I went home and took the letter out of my desk and showed my wife. But you accept the responsibility, and I think that was one of the things you accepted the role that was created for you by Pat Quinn and the coaching staff in '02. Is that fair to say? Oh, I played on lots of Team Canada's where, where yeah, you, you, you took what was available, you know, and it wasn't my first time. And, and, and that, that can evolve over time. I remember in the 96 World Cup, like Steve Eiserman was, was a healthy scratch in, in the early games mm-hmm. and, then, and then got in a, a game and scored the, a late game-winning goal and then suddenly became our uh, – and wasn't complaining about his role. And, and suddenly by the time the tournament ended – he was our most important player. Um, I think even in 2002, Jerome McGinley was was a young, up-and-coming player. He wasn't even at the camp to start. Wasn't even invited to the camp and yeah. ends up scoring two goals in the gold medal mm-hmm. game. So when you play for any team, uh, and especially if you have an opportunity to play for Canada where you've got so many great players, um, yeah, you take whatever role they give you and uh, and you do whatever role. It could, could change over the tournament or... Or you could just be a fourth-line momentum changer, banger, and mm-hmm. you might be a 50-goal scorer in the NHL, but for those two weeks, this is what you do. What did 97 and 98 teach you as a player in terms of commitment to win back-to-back cups? 
Well, I, I think they're both different. I think in uh, 97, um, I, I think it, the, the exercise sort of humbles you a little bit because, you know, even now we all try to build these teams and you, you know, it's, you, you have to be calculated and sort of like how you build a team from the ground up. But then what I realized when I played 97 is, wow, there's a lot, lot of luck involved as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a break here in the second round or a break in game three of the third round mm-hmm. uh, where you start to look back and say, if, if that didn't hit the post or if this goal wasn't called back or, or, or whatever, if we didn't catch this break, we might not be standing here uh, holding the cup uh, in the final. So, um, so I learned that sometimes you win, even though they hand out the cup at the end of the fourth round, uh, sometimes you win the cup with in game two of round one. Sometimes mm-hmm, you win the right. cup in game seven of round two. And, um, and so it's, it's humbling in that regard. I'd, I'd say the great, greatest lesson in, in winning the back-to-back and was for people that would say, you guys have won, what about complacency? And I'd say, well, obviously you think about it completely backwards because when you win, it's like a, a bear or an animal tasting meat for the first time. Like berries and shrubs no longer are good enough. <laughs> you, you, once you win, it's just yeah. the opposite. You become like, like that is, you, you've tasted it now. You've sort of, you've, you've seen what it's like. You've mm-hmm. seen what it takes. You've seen how far you can push beyond what you thought were your limits. You've seen your teammates uh, come to your support. You've come to their support, um, and you want right back at it. You were not a meek player. You were robust. I think it's fair to say that. How nasty was Colorado Detroit in those days? It was great. And the interesting thing about like that rivalry, it was the two teams really did uh, dislike each other. And it doesn't mean that we didn't respect them. Um, you can respect somebody and still like, not mm-hmm. like them. Uh, we really didn't like them and they didn't like us. But what was more interesting is, is that, you know, with all due respect, there were other great teams in the league at the time, New Jersey and Dallas and, and several others. But, but it was, you could argue that we were the two best teams in the league that, you know, in any given night, there might have been between 12 and 16 future Hall of Famers on the ice and uh, when I think about the game on March 26, 1997, which was the really sort of a galvanizing moment for the Detroit Red Wings, um, I mean, we were down 5-3 to three in the third period. Um, people remember the brawls and they remember, like, all the fights of the game, but we came back and won that game 6-5 in overtime. So it's probably the most, even now, uh, you'll sometimes see clips on it, like, on this date, you know, whatever many years ago. Uh, I've seen some highlights of the game, and I've seen some repeats of it. It's still maybe the most entertaining game I've ever participated in, that if you're a hockey fan, it sort of touches all of the bases. 2002, your coach was Scotty Bowman. That's the last game you ever coached. Carolina, you win the Cup. The night before, I had dinner with him at the Gross Point Yacht Club. And he told me he was going to retire the next day if they won. And I couldn't tell anybody. Did you know he was going to retire after that game? No. If, and if you look, uh, while we're celebrating on the ice, none of us knew that Scotty was going to retire. While we're, we're all celebrating on the ice, and, and he's coming up to us one by one, and he's hugging us, and he's telling us in those moments. And so, uh, you know, it was, we were all shocked. And, and you know, it, 
you, you then you'd go and hug a player uh, after talking to Scotty, and, and and you'd be like, you know, yelling and screaming, and then he'd say, "Did you hear Scotty's retiring?" <laughs> and we'd say, yeah, yeah. Like, like, oh my god, like uh, anyway, uh, and then you'd go and hug another guy, and and so it started to make our way around on the ice, and um, you know, the great thing about Scotty was uh, sort of from that point on too is. I think there's a part of us we all wanted to talk to him more. We certainly wanted to hear the Pittsburgh stories and the Montreal stories. Mm-hmm. And um, we were being coached by somebody that was currently in the Hall of Fame. But Scotty doesn't talk to his players. And I, and, and I think that's by design. I think that's how he was taught, how he learned from the Toe Blakes of the world, mm-hmm. that there's, there's a certain distance you keep from your players. So since then... He's, he used to come down to the dressing room and he was like chatty and he's very you know conversational mm-hmm. as yeah. you would know yeah. but we didn't and we all wanted to have that we all wanted to you know get more back from him and I, I, I laugh sometimes when people talk about like communication I'd say like for all of us you know even even our captain Steve Eisenman you might go three four or five months without you know having a, a one-on-one conversation with Scotty which might even involve just like like grabbing a coffee like in the dressing room saying hey you know how was how was your Christmas uh like that just didn't occur and uh he would speak to us as a group but uh very very seldom did he sort of use his voice on us one-on-one usually when it was a one-on-one with Scotty it wasn't for (laughs) a good reason it wasn't you weren't getting called in to be told that you were playing really well that's right um so after Scotty left Dave Lewis was there for a short time yeah and then Mike Babcock came in, yep. and you played for Mike. And what did you learn from Mike that led you to believe that he could help you turn the Toronto Maple Leafs around? Well, I, th- I think that Mike, um, you know, I, I think even in Detroit, even with that veteran group, uh, after Scotty, there was a little bit of a letdown. And, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, we, we weren't as sharp. We weren't as disciplined. And we weren't as structured as we were under Scotty. And that's not a knock at Dave Lewis. I think that that was just a direct result of, you know, after having Scotty there for 10 years now, you know, there's the guys maybe sort of ease back a little bit. So I thought what Mike did was he brought back that structure and that discipline. Um, he was um, he was certainly somebody that, that had a game plan, was very, had a very detailed game plan. Uh, and he was a communicator. And so going from a coach like Scotty, who never communicated, to now uh, going to a guy like Mike, who communicated with you every day, um, was, for, for me and for a lot of the players, uh, we, you like to know where you stand. And so I thought, it was a, I thought that he had done a, a really good job in sort of pulling that team back together and giving that team uh, structure um, and giving that team a, a game plan again. So uh, I, I, I used to kid around with him, though, sometimes because he's um, – I said to him once, you know, Mike, if, if I have a good game and someone asks you to compliment me, could you please not compliment me because they hurt my feelings? Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he'd, he'd say, like, oh, yeah, you know, Shanahan had a, you know, three goals tonight and for a guy that old and, and that slow. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and he played really well. Yeah. And, and, and we used to kick that around and laugh about it. And I, I think that, that, that I always at the time, uh, you know, appreciated, um, again, that, that he was a guy where – in contrast to Scotty, 
both brilliant coaches, uh, both um, guys uh, that, that Scotty's in the Hall of Fame, Mike will probably be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but one of them sort of, it was, we were going to Barry Smith, like, Barry, what does Scotty want from me? Uh, from Mike, we, we heard it directly, and that, that was sometimes a good thing too. How hard was it to travel to Arizona and fire Mike? Yeah, it's it's not not the good part of the job for sure. And you've and that's um, I think people that do this job, uh, there are a lot of good days and then there are bad days where you have to make a decision like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 based on on how things are going in that moment and how things uh, uh, are going with the team at that time and whether or not you think that that they're going to be a part of the solution or or if you have to look elsewhere. So. Um, part of the job, not a, not a fun part of the job. One of the things that I think you did that really helped hockey was during the nuclear winter, 2004-2005, you had the Shanahan Summit, so-called Shanahan Summit, to try to identify what needed to change with the rules. I thought it was really progressive. At that time, yeah. did you know that there were issues with coaches around the league that some players would bring up down the road in terms of verbal abuse or potential physical abuse or things like that. Did you know any of that stuff at that time? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that any of us considered, would have set, put it that way at the time. I think at the time we were thinking, um, when we met, uh, it, was, it was players, it was coaches, it was um, TV executives, mm-hmm. it was managers, uh, referees, it was all the people that sort of were responsible for the product on the ice so our focus at the time was um, the game had really stopped um, in some respects uh, a lot of people a lot of players started to think the game was becoming less and less entertaining mm-hmm. uh, so that was really the focus on that meeting and, and I always the meeting was set up in a way in which I just it was confusing to me why um, managers just met with managers and refs just met with refs and players just mm-hmm. met with players mm-hmm. And nobody ever shared each other's experience with each other. And I remember even being in the meeting and, and a coach and a manager and some players. Um, and I, I generally, I just sat back in the meeting and let, let everyone sort of take over. Uh, but they'd be going down the road with a certain idea, a certain rule, and a referee would speak, speak up and, and add a, his perspective that would, would tell us that, that this was the complete wrong way um, wrong wrong direction be going on the road so having everybody there was really helpful and that was really the focus of that and it the 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 group had no teeth like we didn't we weren't put together by the league in in any way we were in a work stoppage and it was just a matter of what i what happened was uh that particular year uh there was a really great hall of fame class that went in uh and i i thought that they all had these great suggestions about you know the game and where the game should be going uh and at the time you know i i don't even know if there was there certainly wasn't twitter or i don't even know <laughs> where you'd find these right. things but it was in the newspaper the next day and then it was gone and uh i just thought like these are all great ideas but they don't they don't ever get to stick because we don't ever talk with the other side and like i said there was a lockout going on we had nothing to do with like the business of hockey or the lockout mm-hmm. it was just a bunch of people that loved the game that that knew when when we did come back we were going to have to be better it is better i think you would agree the game is much better you were a big part of that so i tip my hat to you 
I think about it now, and you were as nasty as there was when it came to play, and I say that as a compliment, you know that. Are you worried that maybe a little bit of the physicality is coming out of hockey? Well, I, I would say that there's probably, a, and I think, I think you could probably back this up with, with, um, with just the data that's available to you. There's probably more hitting in hockey now than there was back then. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the physicality comes in a different way. Um, the players are smarter. They're in better shape. They're faster. You can't slow them down with hooking and holding as much. So the hitting is, um, the, like I said, the shifts are shorter because they're intelligent. They, they, know, they know now not to extend a shift. So they're always out there with energy. They, they come with speed. They finish, everyone finishes their checks. Um, so I, I would say that we all, we all would love to have like physicality in that sort of complete package. When I, of, of a player, and I remember talking to Mark Hunter when he was scouting for us and saying to him, because he was very entrenched, uh, he was coming from junior hockey, mm-hmm. really knew the game and the players well coming up. And I, I described a couple of players that, that, that were, could really contribute to the team and play the game really well, but also had that physical edge and, and asked him, like, can you, can you find us some of these guys in the draft? And, and one of the things he had said to me was about some of the rule changes uh, in junior hockey that players, fewer and fewer players were playing that style. Mm-hmm. Um, there are guys in our league right now that play that style that are very good at it. They're, very, they're good players, and they also bring a physical edge. Uh, they're sort of that Cam Neely package. Um, but in the 90s, there were one of those on every team. Mm-hmm. Now there's sort of, I don't know, I don't know exactly how many, but they're not very many. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think physicality is always going to play a role in hockey. I think it's, it, it's take, it can take on different forms. I, I think that, that grit takes on different forms. Igor Larionov, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, is not a big guy. They call him the professor, and yet he's one of the grittiest mm-hmm. uh, can't believe he fought Forsberg. Mentally (laughs) tough uh, people I've ever played with. So I think that that takes on different forms. One last one for you. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Do you ever allow yourself, because you've hoisted the cup three times, do you ever allow yourself to think about what a Stanley Cup here in Toronto would be like? Well, that's that's the job. I mean, we all do. We all, wherever, you know, they think whoever's working in any organization uh, around the NHL thinks about it. So I'm no different in that. Absolutely. That's uh, having that sort of like visualization in the back of your mind is is it's great to have, and it's sometimes fun to on a on a drive to think about some of those things that that are sort of at the end of the finish line. But but then we all just go back to you know what do we have to do today? Uh, what do we have to do to get ourselves better? What do we have to do to make ourselves one of those teams that that has the potential to do this? And um, and I say to people all the time here in Toronto as well because. You know, once, you know, when the team was rebuilding, it was sort of in some ways, uh, I remember somebody saying to me once, uh, a, a fan coming up to me and saying, you know, we support the, the rebuild of this team and it's just going to be so much fun when this team is good and contending, you know, uh, a contending team, uh, it's just going to be so much more peaceful in the city. And I said, <laughs> no, it's the opposite. Right. It's like you 
from when I look at some of these other cities and teams that have won, um, there's a team this year that will be unhappy with their staff at, the, at, at a certain moment. They'll be unhappy with their defense at a certain moment. They'll all be unhappy with their power play or their offense at a certain moment. The, there'll be a team that thinks all those things in a snapshot during the season that will win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And we, we make the you know, we, we make the mistake of seeing a team at the end where it all comes together and thinking that it just went beautifully for them all year long. Uh, the highs and especially the lows are sort of those lessons in, in those moments are the lessons that help you hopefully uh, have the good fortune of winning the Stanley Cup. Thank you for your time and Merry Christmas. Yeah. Really good seeing you, Brad. Thanks, Thank, you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, thank you, Pierre. Nice conversation there with Brendan Shanahan. Quick programming note, ahead of championship week in fantasy football, we'd like to give a shout-out to the Roto World Football Podcast, where our Roto World writers give you everything you need to know to set your lineups for the playoffs. New episodes are available every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, wherever you get your podcast. All right, guys, now it's time to continue the all-decade team and your selections. Let's remind everybody and also remind you guys of where we are from last week. Jonesy and Sharpie selected our six defensemen and two goaltenders. Apparently, Chicago was well-represented. Yeah, obviously, Sharpie was involved with that. Omar much? Yep, no question. <laughs> yeah, you got to love Sharpie. There it is. Yep, he's very dedicated to his team. Yep, he's loyal. Yep. Which we probably might be, too. Yeah, it's it's understandable. Let's put together our four lines of forwards. We're looking at the years 2010 right up to the present. Biggest impact players in JR. I want to point out uh, from listening to you, you weren't getting specific with positions. You just wanted the best players out there. Yeah, I I think it's really hard. I think the centermen have dominated the the best players in the game. I I say that because we'll, we'll... We'll show you some of the guys that are on this list, but uh, I'm going to go with my first, my first inkling of the first line, which I think everybody should agree with, Sidney Crosby, yep. right down the middle. I don't think there's been a player um, since Wayne Gretzky that's affected the National Hockey League as, as much as Sidney Crosby's cups, uh, awards, uh, everything you can a- ask for in a captain is Sidney Crosby. Um, number two, you can't, on the wing, Alex Ovechkin, the best goal scorer that we have seen since Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hall, uh, but the only guy I think has a chance to catch Wayne Gretzky's uh, goal record, which is an amazing thing to talk about. You know, eight or nine 50 goal seasons, probably get another one this year. Uh, now Stanley Cup winner. And I'm going to go on the other side with Patrick Kane. This guy continues to be one of the most electrifying, one of the best goal scorers, one of the best playmakers, one of the most feared guys in the National Hockey League uh, in terms of defenseman scare. Uh, that's what, what, what uh, Kane brings. And he's won cups. He's won MVPs. He's done it all. So my first line, Crosby, Ovechkin, and Kane. I'm not going to argue. Normally we don't agree on everything, but in that situation there, JR, I agree with you 100%. I love it. So he was 100%. starting off good. Easy I'm with you. Great. Too easy. Yeah. My, my, my second line now, there might be some arguments there. Well, let me know as I continue on. Yep. Let me know what your thoughts are. But I go Andre Kopitar. Uh, no position in particular. But Kopi's won Selkie. He's won Cups in L.A. He's quietly getting it done every single year. He's fourth now in career points in L.A. Kings history, over 900. Uh, I, I love him in my second line. Evgeny Malkin. Travesty, he was left off the top 100 players in the National Hockey League. It's a joke. I mean, what were they thinking not leaving him on there? Winning scoring titles, winning Cups, being a monster in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I love everything about Gino's game. And my third guy, Patrice Bergeron. Wow. Mr. Perfect. Wow. The perfection line. This does everything well. Winning Selkies. Uh, number 37 will be up in the rafters at some point yeah. in the TD Garden Arena there in Boston, along with all those other jerseys up there. So 
Uh, I think those three guys have a place in my second line. It's there. a great, it's a great second line. You look, you look at all those guys. I agree with you with Malkin. He's one of my favorite guys to watch because he brings everything: grit, tenacity. He's mean, scores goals. Um, he's an assist guy. He's always up there in penalties. I mean, that's my type of player. He's an old school type player. Uh, Kopitar. We had when Wayne Gretzky called him during this, their cup runs, the third best player in, on the planet. In the world, hmm. yeah. Third best player on the planet. I mean, that, when Wayne Gretzky tells you you're in the top three yeah. best players pretty impressive. on the planet, then you have to start listening and paying attention. I think Kopitar has proven um, that he, is, he deserves to be on this great call. And, and how, can you not, how can you not have Berger on there? You want to talk about one of the most intelligent, one of the, one of the most creative, best leaders you know, he's won the Selkies, won the Stanley Cup. It's a great second line. Totally agree with it. So the third line becomes a little bit harder. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's just review. Oh, we want to review? Good. Review okay. the top Perfect. two lines. Uh, we seem to have approval across the board here with these, with these picks. Uh, Ovechkin, Crosby, Kane. Well done, JR. Also to you for the second line here, Ace, Kopitar, Bergeron, and Malkin. All right, two lines left. Let's kick off the third, JR. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm going to go a little outside the box. I know it's the decade team. Okay, but I, I, I think these a couple of these players have done things that have that have transcended the generations and transcended the decade aspect, and they've been so good in this decade. But I still think maybe 2000, 2010, they were their best, but they're still unbelievable since 2010. Joe Thornton comes to my name, comes to my mind right away. You talk about a guy who has 1,600 games. He's 14th in all-time points. He's eighth overall in assists, and he's still playing the game. Uh, he's a first bat Hall of Famer without question. He's one of the best leaders when I played with him. He's one of the best leaders and one of the most loved guys that I've ever played with. Uh, I'm going to go on the other side and say, say Steven Stamkos. How can you not say Steven Stamkos? I know um, he hasn't won a cup yet, but he's a guy that has scored 60 goals. Uh, he's, he's known as one of the best goal scorers and one of the best le- leaders in the game. So I'm going to go with Steven Stamkos. And I'm also going to go way off the grid here again, too, with um, um, Patrick Marlowe. Hmm. Patrick Marlowe has shown the, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, listen, wow. hey, listen, listen. I've, I've, I love I, you, Patrick. Yeah, <laughs> you know, P- Patrick has shown uh, true professionalism in the way that he's played. Um, over 550 goals, I think, is his longevity. Uh, and again, what he's meant to San Jose, what he's uh, what he's meant to a lot of young players, uh, he's just again another another player who's played fourteen, fifteen hundred game, fifteen hundred games. So uh, I'm going to go off the grid, and, and I'm gonna, I'm going to throw on a guy that maybe I don't like so much, or I'm not don't care for so much personally, but professionally, the guy's a stud, Patrick Marlowe. No, he is, and it's so rare to find two players going one and two in the same draft, still playing. <laughs> Like 20-some-odd years later, how yeah. rare is that? Yeah, and having, uh, having an effect on the it, game. It's, it's crazy, right? Yeah. And to, usually when you play that long, it's because you've won. But they haven't won cups. I mean, they've won Olympics. Mm-hmm. They've won world championships, but they haven't won cups yet. So that just tells you something about how they are as people, mm-hmm. as individuals. Yeah. The fact that organizations still want to have these guys around to be able to have an impact on the younger players. Because if they weren't those kind of guys, right. there's no chance, PB, they'd get... That right. extra yeah. third, fourth, fifth chance to stay in the league. Bringing us to the fourth and final line, and I'm picturing you guys going through this and getting to this point of your selection and realizing this is the hardest one because you're going to leave off, no matter what you do, going to leave off some awesome players that you respect and admire quite a bit. So for this final round, let's go back and forth. Let's alternate. And uh, who, who would like to kick I'm it gonna off? Start. I'll start. I'll get started with Nicky Backstrom. Nick Backstrom wow. is a player that I think is very underrated. Uh, I thought when Coach Trotz had him, he had a chance to win a Selkie. 
and people were just seeing the assists and they were seeing him play with Ovechkin feeding those one-timers. They didn't really appreciate what he brings to the table day in and day out in terms of his 200-foot game. But he's one of the most smart, intelligent Swedish players I've seen come around in a long time, mm-hmm. period. And yep. the way he's able to make plays consistently, JR, the last 10 years, like he's been an integral piece that Washington Capitals wow, that's, that's actually a really good call because I'm sitting here thinking – Tavares maybe in the middle. I mean, Tavares has been it's been one of the most dominant players, and a lot of the times with a with a lackluster team in the island, um, he's always put up the points, always put up the goals. But you look at Backstrom; it's a great call because you wonder if Ovechkin would have been scoring as many goals if he didn't have a playmaker like like Backstrom. I think Backstrom is probably the most underrated star in the National Hockey League for what he does: his talent, his playmaking ability, how smart he is. Uh, how reliable he is. It's a great call, I think, on that side. I'm going to go on the other side, and I'm going to take, um, take Marion Hossa, uh, a first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Here's a guy who's been in the finals, I don't know, four or five times. He's won three cups. Um, uh, he, he's, uh, he, to me, uh, epitomizes a full, hard-nosed, you, he can do anything type of game. He was so hard to play against. One of the heaviest bodies on the puck. When you try to get him off the puck, it's almost like you were trying to move Mount Everest. Mm. <laughs> he is just absolutely a bull. They call him the Haas for a reason. Um, one of the best defensive forwards I've ever seen and one of the best leaders I've ever seen. So I'm going to go with Marion Hossa uh, on my wing as uh, on the fourth line. I'm with you on that. I mean, you think about Jonathan Taves' game, how it's been impacted by not having Hossa there. Hossa brought so much to the table playing with him. They were a dynamic duel, these two. And the fact he went to a cup final with Detroit... Cup final of Pittsburgh, won cups in Chicago. I mean, you can't forget the impact he's had on those teams. But I think my third guy, speaking of cups, is Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel came from Boston, went to Toronto in the fishbowl. Talk about playing with a guy, a guy playing with, like, no centers. No centers whatsoever. Like, it was Phil Kessel and maybe Bozak, maybe. And that's nothing against Bozak. He's won a championship with St. Louis Blues. But, I mean, but come on. Like, seriously, this is Phil Kessel here. A 30-goal score every single year. Mm. Goes to Pittsburgh, fits in nicely with the Penguins, wins multiple cups, and then he's seen as a guy that needs to bring that little extra X factor out to Arizona to push him over the top. You don't, you don't think he's getting – he's and I know he was a big part of those cups, but you don't think he's, he's – Malkin and Crosby are going to get more of the – of the accolades and the and the props for winning they, cups. They would, they would, they would because it's their team. But we think about the HBK line. I mean, that's not HCK line. That's a, I mean, <laughs> or, that's a or, tough or one for me. HBK line. I mean, HBK line. There's Bonino and Haglin. I mean, what are those guys doing now? Those are nice serviceable parts, but those guys aren't driving lines like how Phil Kessel did. I, you That's know, I don't mind it. I don't mind Kessel. Cups. I'm a big Kessel fan. I don't mind it. I, I think, you know, he was rated the most overrated player. He was. But you don't love it. Players. It seems like you don't love it. Though. I don't love it. I, 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 I'm okay with it because Phil Kessel is the So what, what do you love? Talk you know, to me. You I find it hard to leave off Jonathan Taves, a guy who was, you know, captain serious. You know, he's won so many Selkie trophies. He's been one of the most dependable players, obviously led – Three Stanley Cups in Chicago. Um, he's just a true ultimate professional. I, I don't. It's tough to leave him off this list for us, and it's tough to leave Tavares off there. It's um, you can't have everybody, right? Mm-hmm. But to, the fact that we don't have Tavares and, and Taves on this list right now is totally blowing my mind. But um, you know, I let's, guess what we got is what we got, and I still think it's pretty special. It's a pretty special four. Let's lineup. take a look at uh, at what we do have. The four lines here. Nice job voicing who, who you think uh, sh- would have been the next 
one or two guys on. Ace, how about you? Well, you know, I'd, I'd like everyone yeah. that's on there right now. I was thinking maybe a guy like Getzlav, maybe only because he's won a Stanley Cup and he's a player that makes everyone around him better. But I can't argue with taking anybody off this list. Which, uh, <laughs> which JR pick okay, would you take off? The thing. If, I, if, I, if I had a, another opportunity, maybe Brad Marchand. How good yeah, Brad yeah, Marchand yeah. has become a, a player. But he hasn't now, played a lot. He, now, he hasn't been the type of player that he has been the last two years, three years. Right. Um, so where is he from 2010 to yeah. 2015? But Brad Marchand right now, I mean, is is one of the most dynamic players in the National Hockey League, which should get consideration. But if yeah, you but had your eraser out, um, would have been Kessel. It's the it all decade. Been, yeah, my, my eraser would have been Kessel. All yes. decade, not all half decade. I your like, eraser goes. I to like who? how it, everyone's situated right there. Maybe yep. Patrick Marlowe. Maybe I'd maybe mm-hmm. bump yep. Patty Marlowe off of there. Yep. But call. I like everyone on that list. Like I can make an argument that every guy on that list deserves to be on yep. that list. Yep. I can tell a lot of thought. Went into it. So, guys, very well done. It was fun to listen to you there. And that's going to do it for another episode of Our Line Starts. A reminder, you can, you can subscribe for automatic downloads wherever you like to get your podcasts. And we'll see you here next time.